Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Deborah also went up with him. Now, the brother Kenite had left the other Kenites 
the descendants of Hibbert, Moses of Baltimore, and pitched this tent by the great tree in Zanin, near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Adonim, um, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera's sovereign from Harasheth, Hagogi, Kishmarika, all his men and his 900 chariots were to the island. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord rooted Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got, got down from his chariots and fled in front. Barak pursued, his tra- pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth to Gohim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. So Sisera, meanwhile, had on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heather the Jewite. Because there was an alliance between Jabin, King of Hazel, and the family of Heather the Jewite. Jael went up to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she pumped him with a blanket. And thirsty, pleased to visit the water, she opened the skin of milk, gave him a drink, and filled him up. Stand in the door of the tent of him. Someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. But Jael, Heather's wife, picked up a tent peg and hammer and went quietly to the one who lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Cecilia and Jael went up to meet him. Come, she said. I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Cecilia with the tent peg through his temple. On that day, <laughs> on that day, God subdued Jehovah, the king of Canaan, the fourth Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites was harder and harder against Jehovah, the king of Canaan, and the Israelites. Amen. Yeah, I didn't want to um, have to read that myself. Well done, that's good. Right. So, we're just going to pray. God, we thank you so much um, for your words, and thank you that even though it's hundreds of years old, Lord, that it can still mean something to us, Lord. We thank you that your word is living and breathing, and Father, we pray that you would teach us something through this passage today, Father. We pray that it would change us, Father, that we would be expecting that you would uh, work through us through this passage. Father, we don't want to leave this place um, unless we are a little bit closer to your image. Um, so, Father, give us eyes and ears and hearts that are open to hearing what you might say to us today. Amen. Amen. So, the emphasis of this story is about perspective. So, we've got Barak on the one hand, and um, we've got Deborah on the other. Um, and so, they are basically facing the same situation, but they deal with it in completely different ways. So, I have a little bit of an illustration for you. What do you see? A rabbit. A rabbit's head. Some of you say duck, some of you say rabbit. Can we see rabbit? Can you see the duck? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, next one. What do you see? Uh, a woman with a big hairdo. Do you see an old woman or a young woman? Can anyone see an old woman? So the old woman is looking forward front ways, and the young woman is looking to the side. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could say. Yeah, that's good. 
She is a judge, but she's also a prophet. She's a wife. She may potentially be a mother, we don't really know, but she's a leader at this time. And I just want to take a step back for, for a moment because we're in a, patriarch, a patriarchal context at this point in time. Okay, so how unusual would it be for this lady to be the one that's uh, in charge, a leader? And if we think, even just in our own context, so we've got a prime minister currently who's a woman. Um, the way that Donald, Donald Trump seems to be speaking every day, it seems like it's more likely it's going to be Hillary um, Clinton going to be our president of the United States. So, and actually for some of us, that doesn't necessarily sit all that comfortably, that we're having basically women in the kind of free Western world leading us. <laughs> for some of us, that doesn't really sit that well. So how much more so would it be in that time, in the time that we're in with Deborah, where she's basically leading Israel? And it's just hard to understand, um, you know, how was it that she actually could get people's attention? How could she, how could men stand up to listen to her, let alone who Barak was when he comes along? And I think the answer to that is really that she was able to speak truth. So she was a prophet, and when she spoke the word, when she spoke something, it meant something. So they knew straight away that God was speaking. And that's how she was able to get people to listen to her. She was renowned for getting it right. And she was a, a prophet. And when she spoke, people listened. And she was also a judge. So the Bible says that she uh, held court under her own palm, called Deborah. I hope it's a palm one day. Um, but people came to, to her the, when they had problems and they wanted uh, disputes. They wanted them mediated. They would basically come to her. And she would help to resolve them. So she was... You would have been known as somebody who was pragmatic, fair, honest, having integrity. And this was the woman who was being raised up. So, if we just um, go down the next slide, we're just doing a few comparisons. So, if we're just comparing who Deborah was with Barak. So, Deborah, first of all, she hears from God. So she hears from God, and she hears basically what um, what um, God is telling her about Barak. But Barak's effectively going to leave the uh, army and help Israel, or the Israelites. But where is Barak? Barak, we know from the passage, is in Kadesh, in Naphtali. Now my ancient history isn't great, so I had to look up what that, where that was. It's actually 75 miles away. And uh, that's quite long for us, but for the uh, for those times, it was even longer. Right? That would have been quite a long camel journey, probably several days long. And I was, I was trying to find out what is what is Kadesh? Where is it? What what was it renowned for? And it was actually renowned for just being a place of refuge, so a place of rest. So Barak is just basically hanging out in general, in the army, 
an army general, but he's just hanging out, he's resting while the Israelites are kind of suffering. But he hears, obviously, that Deborah's calling him, and he goes. Could you just press down? Um, so, so basically, Barak is summoned, and Deborah comes. The next thing that we know in the Bible is that Deborah then looks um, for Barak to leave. To leave. So Barak basically, um, she hears this word from God and uh, commands Barak and says, "Well, this is what God is telling you to do. You should come. You should help the Israelites." And that is what she tells him. I don't know what happens with you, but when when like the, when um, the word is spoken over you, so like a prophetic word, and it's something that really penetrates into the heart, it's really quite direct. I don't know what you do, but you probably just weigh it up. But actually, once it's weighed up, you just go. Right? You do what God tells you because it's so great and it's so big. But Barak, what does he say? Barak says, "Well, don't worry, you know, if you go, then I'll go. But if you don't go, then I'm not going to go." So, Deborah is looking for Barak to leave, because that's what God has told her. But Barak looks to Deborah and says, okay, I'm only going to go with you go. This is the general of an army. So, um, three men, they're hiking, okay, they're hiking through the forest, and they come up against this really large river, and it's all kind of violent and terrible, they don't know how they're going to get across the river. So, needing to get the other side, the first man, he prays and he goes, Hey Lord, give me the strength to cross this river. He opens his eyes. Poof! God gives him strong arms, strong legs, and he's able to swim across the river in about two hours. He almost drowns twice, but he makes it. <laughs> After witnessing that, the second man, he goes, Okay, God, give me strength, give me tools for across the river. He opens his eyes, poof! He gets strong arms, strong legs, and he gets a rowboat. Okay, so he's able to like row across the river, but he's getting pretty tired, but he's got strong arms, strong legs. So he gets it, it makes it in half the time, but he almost capsizes, but he still makes it in about an hour. You see what happens to both the two men that go before that, the third man prays, okay, God, give me, give me strength, give me tools, and give me intelligence. And then suddenly he turns into a woman. And then the woman looks at her map, goes upstream 50 meters, and comes to the bridge. Okay, so this is what is meant for Barak, right? So Barak is meant to be a warrior. He's meant to be familiar with battle, but he needs Deborah. Deborah is looking to Barak to step into the purpose that God has destined for him. But Barak needs reassurance from Deborah. And you've got to feel it for Barak, right? Because he's faced with 900 iron chariots, is what the Bible tells him. And he's only getting 10,000 men. And that's kind of like the equivalent today to like 900 tanks versus men with little, little machetes. They both know on the face of it that it's suicidal to go into it to battle this way. But whereas Barak looks at the situation that's at hand, so he, he's, look, he's looking at what he has to go up against. Deborah knows that God is present. Verse 14 says, Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? This is what Deborah is saying to Barak. She's full of faith, whereas Barak's faith 
is qualified. The Bible tells us that faith is a gift, right? We know that it's a spiritual gift. But it's also a habit that needs to be exercised and developed. Deborah's faith has been exercised and was matured, so she just walked in it. And I really think that sometimes we just start on the wrong level. So when we're trying to pray for things, we just start at one level. So for example, if I pray and I pray, oh Lord God, can you can you just sort out the situation in Syria? Can you can you just sort out the uh, ISIS guys? Can you help them to, to, to turn their face so they look upon you and repent of their ways? I wonder how many of us actually have faith for that, that actually God would do that. <coughs> Sometimes we just need to start on a much smaller level. And I often hear people say, you know, uh, you know, if the uh, if if a terrorist came in now I would, and told me that you know, I need to renounce my faith or I'm going to die, then then I would die. I would die for Jesus. But actually, God doesn't really require that of us. Thankfully, you know, probably most of them that's not going to be a reality. However, He asks us for smaller things, but little and often. How on earth can we be faithful in the big things, in the eye of the storm, if we are not faithful in the little things? We need to be practiced in faith so that when bigger challenges come our way, they're not insurmountable for us. See, the challenge ahead was too big for Barak, that he could ever believe in faith that God would deliver the Israelites through him. So what comes out of faith? What comes out of faith is obedience. Deborah was willing and she was available. So by looking and listening to what God was going to do, she stepped out and then she took a risk. And again, I just want to to underestimate what she had to overcome in a culture where women, women would have no voice and no status. Her eyes were completely fixed on who God was. Barak had this army of unseasoned soldiers to work with, in the face of a trained army with these 900 iron chariots. That's what he was focused on, and that's why he was reluctant. And it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to trust when you're confronted with the size of such a problem like that. And I think that's why we need to just really benefit, we have the benefit of hindsight. So if we look back in our life, and we, we can always be 100% sure we've gone through a challenge, that God was with us. Isn't it so easy to do that? But when we're actually faced with a challenge in the now, we find it really difficult to really trust that God is there. And that's why we really need to remember, remember, remember every time that God has done things for us in the past. Otherwise, we'll become like the Israelites and we'll come into this circle and circle again and just reject them and move away and then they're desperate for his help when things go wrong. By the way, where were the other Israelites? Where were the other tribes of Israel? The Bible tells us in that passage that 10,000 men were summoned from the two tribes. So James read out Naphtali and Zebulun. Where were the other 10 tribes? There were 12. I think it's because God finds less and less people who are willing to commit themselves to the purposes. And that's why they just went there. Even the commander, the general of the army, Barak himself, is reluctant. So we know that eventually, anyway, that Barak leads the army. And isn't it good that God doesn't see a situation the same way that we do? Isn't it good that God doesn't send us to battle unless he's gone first gone with us and gone ahead of us? 
So Zara must have been really complacent at this point, so he's the opposition <coughs> army leader. He must have just been thinking, oh my goodness, this is like job done, it's so easy. I've got 900 chariots, these guys have only got men, so these guys are going to just die in a second. But God was walking. So what we don't know, uh, just a bit of context of Ephraim, where there's a base, is mountainous. So the Bible says it was um, hill country. So these iron chariots probably wouldn't have done very well on mountainous terrain. And Canaan was in the valley. So Sisera is led to the Kishon River, that's what God said he'll do, with Barak's army charging down. So in um, Judges 5, we only read Judges 4. But in Judges 5, it's basically the story of Deborah where she basically recounts what happened. That's a song that she sings. And what happens is actually there are these earthquakes that take place, and there's torrential rain, and there's flooding. There's all this stuff that happens in the time of the, um, of the battle. And there's actually a little verse that says, From the heavens, the stars fall. And see, that's amazing. Like, God is doing something in the heavenly realms for these guys. He's fighting for them, even in the heavenly realms. And then, eventually, Sudera's army is defeated, and everyone's killed in their victory. At that point, Deborah, well, we previously learned that Deborah um, had told Barak that because of his reluctance, he wouldn't get the recognition, right? So he's not going to get recognition for winning the battle, and then it's going to fall to a woman instead. So at that point, we're thinking, okay, well, it's got to be Deborah, right? Because she's the one who's led him there. So then we then read this really curious story about um, Jael, or Lyle, and uh, Cesare, and what happens next. So Cesare then escapes on foot, right? He's the only guy who's left. All the rest of the army are all dead. And he ends up in Yael's tent. So Yael is not an Israelite. She's a Gentile woman. And she says, come right in, come right in. You must be tired. You, know, you fought a storm, you fought a battle. He asks for some water. And she says, no, 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 have some milk. Okay, so milk's going to make him feel a lot more, it's not heavier, so he's going to fall asleep, he's going to get tired. Come, come right in. Let me cover you with this blanket. So of course he falls asleep, tired. And when he's asleep, Yael gets this tent peg and a hammer, whacks it into his head, goes through to the ground, and then comes the most uh, unnecessary statement in the Bible, and he dies. Um, and then, of course, Barak wanders by. So Barak's wandering along and runs into Yael's tent, for some reason, but okay, fine. Sees Cesera has been killed by a woman. How annoying would that be? Like, he's basically done all the hard work. He's basically killed all the army, uh, the opposing army. There's only one guy left. And the woman's done it. Like, surely he would have wanted to finish her off, him off. And you wonder why was that so? Why is that so bad for Barak? Why did God take away Barak's glory? I think it's because that that was the thing that Barak was most interested in. He was concerned about his reputation. How embarrassing it must be for a woman to have taken that from him, and a double whammy at that. Both Deborah. And now you have it. Not once, but twice. Because when we do something, so when we're faced with something, we've uh, done something for God, do we want to see a return on our investment? Do we want to be acknowledged? Do we want to be recognized? Are we concerned more about our reputation? Are we more interested in what other people 
The problem with reputation is that it's so easily earned, so quickly earned, and yet so easily tarnished. Deborah was concerned about building character. <laughs> okay? So she wanted to refine her faith. She was walking with God. She was developing her character in the image of God. And that takes years. Are we interested in obeying and pleasing God and relentlessly pursuing God no matter what? Who are we? Are we like Barak? Do we care about our reputation? Or are we like Deborah, pursuing relentlessly our character and God's glory? Because either way, God has a plan and purpose for you, right? No matter where you are, no matter what you think, that is the truth. But God has a plan and a purpose for you. So how are we going to respond? Are we going to be ready like Deborah is? Are we going to be like, yes, Lord, bring it on, I'm ready, I trust you, I have faith? Or are we like Barrett? Are we more risk of it? Not really sure. Bit reluctant. Who are we? Do we wrestle with self-sufficiency or do we wrestle with insufficiency? Do we wrestle with insufficiency or self-sufficiency? Because sometimes we're like Barrett, right? So sometimes it's easier to put up faith in someone who looks like God is working in them than believing that God could work through us. Isn't it so much easier to do that when you see someone a bit more faithful to you? But it's also easy to be self-sufficient, that we can just do it on our own. To be honest, I think that's a little bit more dangerous, and probably where I'm a little bit more in that camp. You know, when you're just a little bit more independent, you, you can just use all your resources because you have so many of them. And it's only when those are exhausted that you're like, okay, now I need help Lord. It's, the problem is that you just don't leave enough place for God to come in. Okay, you can easily go through daily life just without God because you don't need Him. Let me tell you that it's as if you don't know already. It's not about your gifts not about my gifts, but about our availability. It's about God allowing us to be used. That through his grace and through his mercy, he chooses you and he chooses me. When he doesn't have to at all, he can obviously do whatever he needs to without us. But by his grace and his mercy, he chooses to use us, us together so that his glory can be seen. Because that's the thing that will stand the test of time. Fame of man has completely made away that the fame of God will withstand an eternity. And when we go through stuff and we do things right, do we also consider whether God is fulfilling his greater purposes through us? Or are we just caught up in that moment? Deborah's act of obedience is stepping out, so she hears God, she summons Barak, she goes with Barak, and it leads to victory. Do you think that she knew at the time that after just doing those things, that 40 years of peace would follow for the Israelites? I bet she had no idea. God uses our small acts of obedience to fulfill his greater purposes that are not always revealed to us, and certainly not immediately revealed to us. I had this friend in, uh, in Rwanda, Gabriel, and I was living there for a while. He was, um, I used to work for an NGO for a year, and he was uh, just a compound manager, so he basically was a cleaner, effectively. And um, he was just a guy that had gone to secondary school, had no more education. But 
but he loved God, right? He was just so good. Every day we used to pray, all of us together. And he just prayed the most amazing prayers. And I was really inspired by him. Um, and just a really humble guy. Always just worked hard, just sweeping and cleaning. And at the end of my time in Rwanda, I thought, God, you know, I really want to do something for this guy, but you know, what can I do for him? So I prayed. And that's all I did, I just prayed. And God basically just said, okay, Emma, just give some money to, to, um, to Gabrielle. And he went a little bit further and said, okay, I want you to fund this guy through to university. I'd like to say that, um, that you know, I starved myself for like three months in order to fund him. It was only like a, you know, a few hundred pounds for four years. I didn't do very much at all. It wasn't a big sacrifice. Gabrielle put himself through university. He ended up, uh, the amazing thing in Rwanda is that when you help one person, you're not just helping actually one person, you're helping his mother, his father, his siblings, because as he can then get a job, it then funds himself so that he can then look after his own family and care for them. Gabriel, he got married in July, because this year, Gary and I couldn't make the, the wedding. But he, um, he sent me some messages, and he was just so thankful to God for what God had done for him. He was now married, he's got this amazing girl, he is now an accountant at a school, an international school. And for him, it is like a miracle that God has done. His life has been transformed in the physical. God uses ordinary gestures where we have sought him to do great things, that leads transformational things in his name. And all we need is a willing heart. I've deliberately avoided the argument that there's people who know about Deborah in the Bible, and some people say that you know, God um, raised up Deborah as a judge because there weren't available men. <clears throat> I didn't want to get into a discussion about that because, um, and, you know, about women and leadership in the church. I think it's fair to say that in Beacon, um, under the eldership, women have leadership roles, and that's a really wonderful thing. Um, but I would like to speak to the women just for a minute, and particularly the um, for women who are young mothers, because there are quite a few in our church, because um, we can still be willing and available where we are, sometimes we just feel a bit overwhelmed, right? I remember my first three months were terrible in here, right? It was just, you're just surviving. You're just trying to survive. And, and for that time, I think God gives you the grace, right? It's just about, help me, Lord. That, that was all my prayer was, help me, Lord, amen. I had no more energy for anything else than just that. And that's fine. But when we get through that and we go through into just the season of motherhood, God can still use us where we are. And the other thing is that we need to be content in the season that we're in. We need to be content in the season that God has placed us in now. I remember when um, Leah was just born, I thought she was nearly two, but um, when she was born, um, I just, I felt really angry. Um, my life turned upside down in a second, and I was so surprised by that. And then I could, would compare myself to Thierry, and his life was just like normal. He was a little bit more tired, but his life was just a little bit more just normal. <laughs> and that really shocked me. And you know, apart from being really cross about it, and cross with Thierry, you're a little bit more I realized that it was just because I wasn't content in the season that God gave me. I mourned the loss of my freedom. I mourned the fact that I could no longer do those things that I loved to do, and I was no longer independent in that same sense. We need to be comfortable with the now, for God to work for us. Okay, we need to not to resent the season that we're in, because God will not use us if 
we have a heart that is not willing and available. And this is the this is the time that we have planned for us. And I just say to women in particular, you know, through conscious prayer, that's what we need, just prayer, even if we've got no other means of anything else. Through conscious prayer, we have the power and the authority to serve motives on Satan, that we will reclaim our children, that we will reclaim our husbands, our lives, our church, our, our city, in the way of the Lord, in our thinking. And that's what we can do for us as well. Okay, and that power is an incredible power and authority that he's given to us, that we have got available for us to use. So I'm going to end now, and I've just put a few questions <clears throat> just for us to think about. How do we hear from God? Okay, it's a really easy question, but it's actually quite difficult to answer. How do we hear from God? Do we take time to hear from God? Do we take time to listen to him, to really hear what he's saying to us? Do we have people in our lives who we know are faithful that will speak to us and speak into our lives? Secondly, how healthy is our faith? Are we willing and available? Faithful thing that we can do this week. Okay? And I'm not talking about a big thing, I'm not talking about striving, I'm not saying we're trying to manufacture and remove our ways to do things. I'm saying it's about the attitude of the heart, right? the heart that we have for Jesus. What is the faithful thing that we can do this week? Can we pray in faith that God will use us this week in a situation <coughs> and step out of it? And the final thing is. What do you need to do to participate in what God has got in store for you? For some of us, this just means listen, right? It's just taking the time to listen to what God might have, have to be saying for us for our lives. For others, it's about getting, letting go of the self-sufficient attitude or the insufficient attitude and instead be willing and available for God. And for others still, we actually know what it is, we just walk in it. Walk in what God has called us to do. It means taking the risk, stepping out, and knowing that God won't send us to battle. He will not send you to battle for his kingdom without you first without you first going to him. The whole point of these life stories that we're going through, okay, is the reason why we're doing these seasonal things, going through each of these different <laughs> people, is that it's not about really thinking that these people are beefy, chunky, great men and women who are much better than you and me. Okay, they are unlikely heroes. And therein lies the great irony of God's kingdom. Okay, Deborah was ordinary, but she was ready. One Corinthians one says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise like human standard, not many of you were influential, not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. He chose the, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lonely things of the world and the, the, the despised things and the things that were not to nullify the things that are. Amen? Amen. Yeah, let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for your goodness. We want to thank you that you choose to use us even when we have hearts that are not right for you. Father, we pray that you forgive us when we are self-sufficient or when we feel insufficient. Father, we pray that we would 
walking the very purposes that you plan for us. Father, we eagerly desire that your kingdom to come um, in this city, uh, in this country, Lord, and we pray that by your grace and mercy you would use us. But we pray, Father, that you would give us hearts and uh, minds, Lord, that would be risk-takers, uh, like Deborah, Father, that we would be unafraid to just step out and walk in the plans and purposes that you have for us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you that you're a good Father and a good God. Amen. Um, that's it for this week. Um, yeah, it, as I said before, if there's anyone who wants to know about house groups, uh, about how to get involved in, in the church and serving, um, and also if there's anyone that has any questions around some of the words that we're about love and stuff like that, so I think we'll speak to them. All right, God bless you have just listened to a Beacon Church recording if you would like more information about us our vision, the team or upcoming events please visit our website which is beacon-church.org you can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.